there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. And welcome to White Lion Fever. It is episode 109. Before I introduce our guest, very quick word, we're now on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash hot metal thanks for kevin to kevin fairhurst who's our very first supporter and now our first guest it's uh kurt uh, vandu from metal church how are you kurt i'm doing great good to be with you man thanks very much for being with us um now um we're talking because you're off to australia soon um but first things first um some um recent dates in canada you you you, you had to cancel those can you tell the listeners uh what happened there uh, family emergencies. Hmm. Uh, yeah, can't really go into it. it. Wasn't mine necessarily, but yeah, just some some family stuff came up that had to be attended to like immediately. And yeah, it's one of the one of the unfortunate things when you get you know get to our age, stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I hope everyone is um, you know, um, better now, or at least uh, that things are uh, things have uh, leveled out. Sorry. Yeah, they're working out. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, um, you've spoken of did, doing a bit of research before this um, interview, and you've spoken a lot about what the music industry was like back in the day, and, and so much so that you quit your own band. Uh, but but the fact that you're going to you're going to Australia for the first time at this point, I just wonder what was, what what about touring? What what about those decisions? What was that like back in the day? And was that a little bit shady as well? The decisions regarding where you go and where you don't go. You mean, like, why did I leave the band back in the day? Well, no, I mean, no, 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 I mean, um, you, the fact it's taken so long to go to Australia, I just wondered, like, um, oh. was the tour, yeah. touring uh, industry just as kind of shady as the recording industry back then, you know what I mean? <laughs> touring, the touring back then seemed a little more legit, because, mm. I mean, you, you kind of figured out, you know, you get paid X for the performance and your expenses are X. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's pretty much it. But the recording industry, you know, you sign a contract and you get a percent, you get advanced a whole bunch of money, and if it doesn't sell, then they pay, you get paid this record company gets paid back out of your money, and you never see another dime. You know, so there was a lot, of, and just that whole business model mm-hmm. went away, which is a good thing for today, but it changed the, the way it's done, and you don't really sell big records anymore. But then on the other hand, you don't need need to sell big records anymore to make the same amount of money. Mm. Then the other side of that is that you don't have a big record company putting a bunch of money into promoting you and making you big, but then again, you don't really need to because you can promote yourself, so it's a whole big mixed bag right now, but actually, I prefer it now Mm. other than, you know, you take the good with the bad. The upside for me outweighs the bad. The upside is bands of our age, you know, I don't call us old, I call us veterans. (laughs) (laughs) We can continue to still work legitimately. We yeah. can continue to still make records and put out music, and our fans are still there. And you know that's that's pretty amazing, and that's that's a really good thing. You know, we met we may never achieve the arena factor, but that's okay. We still get to play. We get to go to Australia for the first time and do shows. <laughs> yeah, you. So, you so that, that are you? Suck. Are you seeing more of the world now than you did back then? Yes. Mm. Right. We're working more now and we're having more fun. And why do you think, I mean, why do you think that um, sort of these opportunities to tour 
more widely are, are coming up now, so late in your careers. Well, why do you think that's the case? Well, it's kind of up to us now. We can just, because everything now in the music business, for the most part, at least in metal and rock, it's it's kind of back to doing it yourself. And that's also not only just the bands, but booking agents and record companies, for sure. You know, yeah, you still got a couple of the majors, but they only pretty much deal with pop stuff and, you know, and that kind of thing. So, you know, for us guys, us rock guys, you know, it's all just kind of do it ourselves. And we can talk to our manager or booking agent and go, hey, we want to go to Australia now talk to somebody you know and it's kind of it's kind of all in our control now which is another upside that i will take of the way it is now way over the way it was yeah. so we can just kind of do it ourselves are you very lean on the road kurt like i mean how many people travel with you when, when, when you're touring now well uh, maybe five band members and maybe uh, you know well it depends on where we are hmm. in the states in the states we travel with you know five band members sound band you know, back a couple of backline guys and a tour manager. So there's you know four of people with the band. So nine people usually. In Europe, it's about eight, about the same. We have a different crew over in Europe. But for what we're doing coming down there, we're uh, you know going to have a couple people that we're hiring you know in Australia to work with us. Right, right. And is it your responsibility day to day to make the books balance and all that sort of stuff, or is it is that on your shoulders, or is it on someone else's shoulders? You know, <laughs> it's on someone else's shoulders. No, I do, I don't do math. <laughs> I, can count, I can count to four. You know, like one, two, three, four, and then the song starts, and that's pretty much it for me. You know, so. But I do know when uh, I can. Somebody can tell me you made X amount of dollars on this run, and it costs us this much to do it. I can't go through the books enough to figure out if we got ripped off or not. But again, we do that ourselves, and we hired good people to tour manage and their friends, and so it's a real self-contained family kind of operation now. And I think that I think that's common for a lot of bands now other than like big bands like Metallica and stuff like that I'm sure that's a much bigger operation but yeah. you know bands at our level you know we do it ourselves you know and it's okay yeah yeah okay let's have a song Kurt what uh, what song do you want to play uh how about by the numbers off damn if you do Living my life by the numbers Counting 
Welcome back to White Line Fever. My name's Steve Mascord and we're back with Bob Catley. Bob, our first uh, segment of this interview went a bit longer than planned, so the next two will be short and sharp. I just wondered, um, going back to uh, you know, the late 1980s when I, I first encountered Magnum, I, since then I've heard prog rock, pomp rock, AOR, radio rock, all these uh, descriptions of what you do. Um, how, how has, do you think, melodic rock has evolved since then, say, since Wings of Heaven. I, it seems to me that it's gone off on a branch of its own. You go to some of these festivals and it's it's kind of separated itself from the rest of rock and it's taken its own path. How how would you describe the way it's kind of evolved since then? Uh, well, yeah, melodic rock was kind of came along in the, like, of the, um, the early 80s, I guess, early to mid-80s, and we were part of that. Um with three-part harmonies and just not just one singer, uh, and it's it's uh, it doesn't always been that popular. I mean, heavy metals took over in the hard rock and this kind of metal and death metal and all that stuff. I can't understand um, <laughs> all those silly noises they make. I don't get it. But there you go. That's that's an old guy talking. Um, uh, Monty Rock is popular now. I think it always will be because it's it's timeless. Uh, and it's good on the ears, you know. It doesn't give you a headache, <laughs> and uh, I think people. It's 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 not AOR. It's it's a bit more than that. I mean, Magnum can be quite heavy in parts, yep. but we're still classed as melodic rock because of the vocal harmonies, I believe, and the melodies. Uh, the guitar melodies are, 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 are melodious, mm-hmm. and th- there's a tune there, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not just a, a flipping row, uh, mm. and um, for want of a better word. Um, so I, I think melodic rock will always be with us, because people grow grow with their music, and once you're into that music, then it's generational. You, you, you play it to your children they grow with it and they play to their children. We get three generations of people coming to see Magnum mm-hmm. and, and it's the same with Aventasia of course, mm-hmm. but on a slightly bigger, bigger scale. Uh, and it's, it's in your bloodstream, you know, you, once you've got it, you've got it forever. And I don't think melodic rock is, is great rock. I mean, they, they call it bands like those classic, classic rock bands now. Um, which just means like you've been going a long time, I think. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, 
Um, but it's not, classic rock isn't a style of music, it's just uh, bands that were there in the 70s. That's classic rock. Um, but um, melodic rock should stay where it is and grow and attract a lot more people because I think it's worth listening to. And it's good, it's great on the headphones. And, and it's, it demands great production as well. You can't have all this harmony and great melodies coming out with, with, with rubbish production. So I think people, you know, know that and they know what they're buying. You're buying a quality record when mm. it's melodic rock. That's all I would say. Okay, that, that was a one-question segment to catch up on the time we lost in the first bit of the interview. Um, what, um, what song can we play now, Bob? Okay. Uh, well... I'd like you to play a song from On a Storyteller's Night. Uh, I think you could... Could you play um, All England's Eyes?
Second part of our interview with Danko Jones. You heard him um, uh, on the last week's program, and he, he introduced the song we played last week was "Dance, Dance, Dance." Super interesting. The video was done in one take. Obviously, there was a lot of rehearsals involved. Those three girls didn't just walk into the room. But can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that video was done in Stockholm, and we're in Toronto. We uh, uh, the director of the video is Amir Chamden, and. He's done, he did every Helicopters video, and he's done a few other videos by bands that we, we really love the videos for, the helicopter stuff. And we've known Amir for, God, oh, 12, 13, 15 years now? I don't even know. Mm. We just never worked with him, and, you know, schedules didn't allow for it. So this time, we, we, we met him at a Helicopters gig, actually, last year in, in, um, in Stockholm, and we got to talking, and... We kept in touch, and, and then when it came time to make a video, we, we hit him up, and he was into doing it, and so this is what we got. Yeah, it's awesome video. Um, if I, I mentioned the uh, last uh, first part of this interview that I, even though I've watched you guys for a long time, it's the first time I've managed to speak to you, so I've got a few of those questions that I've been saving up, which might be annoying, probably is annoying, but one of them is... Um, one of them is, is, is Danko in any way a character? The actual, the, you know, like I just, because it's obviously the kind of cocky bluesman and, and there's, there's a, there's a, there's, there seems to be a character in the lyrics. And I just wondered how close Danko the character is to Danko the guy. You know what I mean? Is there, is there a role you play? Well, I mean, when I get on stage and I, I, I'm in front of a crowd, uh, you know, you have a chemical change and some people get really shy and nervous and, they, 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 their throat tightens up and they can't speak. Well, I just have the opposite effect. It's <laughs> almost like a uh, fight-or-flight kind of response, mm. and I need to to get get on with it and do it. So that's, mm. that's how, you know, so when people see me or meet me off stage and I'm not saying anything or not screaming at them, they're... They wonder if it's a character, but it's not. It's It's just simply me in a situation where there's like... You know, a hundred, a thousand, five thousand pairs of eyes staring at me, and that's the kind of response you know my body gets. You know, have you have you um, ever found an onstage situation intimidating? I mean, I saw that tour with um, Guns and Roses and Sebastian Bach in two thousand and ten, I think it was in Canada. You know, that must have been a big stage to kind of fill. Um, have you ever have you, have you ever kind of um, um, felt that felt intimidated by an on an on stage assignment? Has anything ever ever scared you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, when we go out into in front of a crowd that isn't ours, you know, mm. when a band takes us out and and you know their crowd isn't necessarily our crowd, it, it doesn't get intimidating. It just kind of gets annoying. Mm. Uh, but intimidating? No, I, I no, I'm not scared to get on stage um, and a big stage like a Guns N' Roses stage. Well, I, I, I thought, well, if we can't own this stage, then we have no right being up here, you know. Mm. So even though we're a three-piece band and 
maybe the crowd doesn't know all our songs like they would know Guns N' Roses songs, we still had to like play and, and, and own the stage. Mm -hmm. So, but the only time it, it does get a little kind of, not intimidating, but rather annoying is we've been on tour with bands where the crowd, and this happens mainly in America, where the crowd doesn't give the opener band even a chance to play. They're ready to just, just boo them. It's mm -hmm. weird. And, and I've, had this same conversation with a lot of other bands in the same situation and it's only in america and in, in other places they at least you know listen and try to decide for themselves but in america it's more like you know if you're not the headlining band then we don't want to see you it's weird it's do a real closed-minded way of listening and taking in music do you bite back do you do you ever say anything or you know, try to... I've bitten back. It always bites you back, though. You, you <laughs> Like, <clears throat> you can't go up against, like, 2,000 people. <laughs> I've screamed back. But then, you know, 2,000 people will just start, you know, whatever, booing or chanting or anything. But it, it's only in America. Mm. And that's such a weird situation. I find it very a very close-minded way to take in music. Mm. And it's funny, too, because it's happened where we've actually confronted some of the people who were like... Who, who were um, booing us in the crowd after the show, and they're suddenly so timid. Mm. <laughs> and, and so, not scared, but timid and, and shy and, and, and almost uh, sorry for doing it. So it's, it's this weird mob mentality there that yeah. I don't see in anywhere else in the world. It's just so weird. Yeah, yeah. Let's have another song, Danko. What can we play now? Well, if it's going to be a, another song of ours, how about off the new record, maybe um, Burn in Hell.
my dudes are lick them if I need to I can take them on and punch them back and still be there to grease them if you wanna I can drive, I can drive straight to hell Cause I'm headed down there, already don't care Looks on fire with the flames getting high But it feels so good on a Saturday night You think you're tough like a demon but you really look scared People picking up what's already out there Don't blink, don't think, if you do you're gonna sick I can see it on your face and I think it's only fair Only hit back when facts start to smell I think I know where we're going and I ain't gonna tell I can see you really wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna Just sit right back and ring the bell We Welcome back to White Line Fever. My name's Steve Mascord, second part of our interview uh, with Eric Martin. Um, I did intend to keep the Avantasia questions to the first bit, but I, I got one more. Um, uh, you said that you first became aware of the band when you were sick and you missed a gig and, and you were given, I think it was uh, uh, Toby Samick gave you their DVDs to watch on the bus. If you hadn't been, yeah. if you hadn't been sick that night, would we be sitting here having this interview now, or would he have found you anyway? You know. Well, you'd be talking to me about Mr. Big or some <laughs> other project, but it probably wouldn't probably wouldn't be advantageous. But I, but it might be because the kid did. Okay, I call him the kid. I don't. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's thirty years old. Um, to be a Samet, Toby for short. <laughs> um, yeah, I was sick in Budapest. And and the and the band played without me, which I thought was kind of weird. But I think they wanted to. They asked the people, you know, you, you can have your money back, but they just wanted to play because I think we had two days off after that. And you know, these muso guys, they, they, they like playing the they like they like playing their solos on stage. I don't know, <laughs> but they um, they played the gig without me, and they kind of put the microphone towards the audience. And then the audience would sing. But like to- Toby was really pissed because I think he tried to track me down two or three times, and I wasn't available. And here, here he is. He's getting. He's in the front row, and he's like, "What?" With the you know the, the famous Eric Martin disappearing act, comes out to the bus, knocks on the bus door, hands me this um, box set thing, you know, and and I didn't. I didn't pay attention to it really. I mean, like he was telling me about the, or telling road manager about the concept and, and the whole thing. And the kid looked so young, and I was on the road, and I was like, oh, okay. All right. I go home, put this DVD in, and I didn't know these guys were huge. I mean, it was and great music. I mean, it's like it's it's metal, but it's metal with melody. Hmm. And it was this DVD of like them singing at Wacken in Germany, uh, which is the biggest heavy metal festival in the world, singing uh, a song called Twisted Mind. And I, I was floored, and I I tracked him down. It took me a while to track him down, and I did. And, and he said, yeah, I want you to sing on the album, a new album called Mystery of Time. And I kind of went back and researched, and I didn't know anything about these guys. And they were, they were, they were starting, they were, it was, it was really good music, and you know they weren't 
they had, I think that Dying for an Angel song was kind of their radio hit at mm-hmm. the time. Klaus Meine from the Scorpions was in it. Uh, anyway, I was, I wanted to take the challenge, take the leap of faith, I guess, you know. Mm. Uh, I've been doing Mr. Big for 30 years. I think it was time for me to branch out and do something else. And I do enjoy hanging out with all the people, like I said. And, uh, and ironically, maybe a year and a half, two years into it, I'm playing at Bakken in Germany for 90,000 people, and we're headlining, mm. and I'm singing that same song, Twisted Mind. Wow. wow. Booyah! <laughs> is, there like a, is there like a whole separate economy in Europe for, that maybe some of your contemporaries don't even know about? I mean, your record company is now Italian. Um, you know, there's uh, th- projects lo- like this. Is the, is the economy for rock in Europe actually bigger than the US? Uh, d- would, would it account for more than 50% um, of your pay packet? You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, like, my only um, template, or, or not, not, not the template, my only information would be like from iTunes or or uh, like searching the net for rock and roll. And they, man, there's not that many. They still have the, they still have some of the 70s and 80s and 90s rock and roll bands are, are the classic rock bands and the glam rock bands from the 80s and 90s and stuff. They're still around, kicking around and doing um, package pro- projects, you know. They, there's still some touring. Um, but like, you know, I don't. I haven't hear it, heard it about any rock labels in America in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what yeah. there is, I mean, we're on Atlantic Records, and I couldn't tell you if Atlantic Records even does rock and roll anymore. Mm. And it was like one of the biggest rock labels in the world. Mm. Led Zeppelin, you know, good stuff. But um, I don't know. I think you hear more from Europe. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm, I. Kind of like stop paying attention to it. Mm. We do have a Jap- Mr. Big has a Japanese label and a and a label, in, uh, you know, a Frontiers. Mm-hmm. And then we got like some distribution companies and stuff in America, but you know, it's not. What are you trying to depress me? No, 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 no. no. I'm just kind of curious because I saw this interview you did in the street in Amsterdam, which is really weird outside a club or something. And you were yeah. talking, you were talking about. Uh, um, uh, Tobias Salmon, and he said, oh, he's a good leader, he's a good paymaster, you know what I mean? It made me think, you know, that a lot of guys are like jump, jumping the uh, Atlantic for, for an urn now, for, for, for the, to make a living, you know what I mean? Well, mm. yeah, I remember saying that paymaster. Like, <laughs> I, I, I've seen that interview and I'm like, I did pretty good until I said paymaster. <laughs> I, think, I think what it was is that, you know, Mr. Big only, when we got back together in 2009, we only toured and made records for like every two or three years, mm. every two years. And it wasn't like it was back in the 90s where it was consistent money, uh, you know, <clears throat> to make a living and also rock out and stuff, mm. uh, touring and stuff, like we used to, like in the 90s, it was back to back. And so I think when I said paymaster, I did mean that I was I was fortunate to get something that was, you know, lucrative and you know, get my ego stroked, and <laughs> also get back up on that big stage, you know. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, um, let's have uh, another song, Eric. What can we play next? Uh, it's actually one of my...
my favorite songs on the new Moonglow album, and it's called Moonglow. And it features um, <clears throat> Adrian Cohen. Uh, I think it features her because she sings it live. I don't know. Oh, no, you know what? My bad. She sings it live, and she does an incredible job of it. But Candace Knight, Richie Blackmore's wife from Blackmore's Night, sings a duet with Tobias Samet, and it's a beautiful song. Such a beautiful light to undo what I thought I believed in. Wild and cold is the wind that'll blow my conviction away.
of a handsome one that stands right between Billy Sheehan and Paul Gilbert? Yeah, that one. Except I look like I'm standing in a ditch because those guys are really tall. Oh, I keep talking. I got Mr. Big Mouth, Itis. You're listening to me and my music on White Line Fever. Welcome back to the program, and uh, we've had a few technical problems. Hopefully they're sorted out. And our next guest, Stevie D from Buckcherry. How are you, Stevie? How you doing, brother? I'm good, I'm good. Now, um, we're talking because you're heading off to, um, to Australia soon, um, and it's been a, it's been a semi-regular place uh, for Buckcherry over the years, hasn't it? And a pretty successful place for you. Yeah, I, uh, I think the first time that we got out there was with uh, Steel Panther, right? Mm. And then uh, we got back uh, again, uh, and then uh, this time we're headed out there with Hardcore Superstar, uh, some of our friends. Uh, one of my favorite bands, rock and roll bands of all time, and definitely my favorite from over there in Europe. Um, yeah, we get on great, and we're really looking forward to being back out there. I read um, the, the current album's War Paint, and I, I read an interview with you when it came, came out where you said you hoped it would get Buckcherry back on the radio. Has, has that happened? Have you been you been pleased with the response? Well, I mean, it's it's a strange time for rock and roll. Um, there, uh, there is, uh, obviously there's active rock on the radio and it seems like they cycle uh, a lot of the same bands and it sounds similar. Uh, every now and then a, a new band gets, uh, thrown in the mix, uh, something like maybe the Struts or Greta Van Fleet, um, but, uh, We've gotten on the radio, but probably not at the place that we uh, had been before. Mm. But um, that doesn't seem to change much uh, for our uh, audiences, uh, meaning like our attendance has been high, and uh, and we're really grateful for that. Um, so uh, the, the, the airplay doesn't seem to affect attendance uh, either way. So, uh, yeah, I mean... I would have loved to, you know, charge it in, you know, higher, but I guess it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Now, I've been, you know, in doing a bit of research, I, I just was reading about um, the response you got from fans when your dad was ill, um, uh, and yeah. and you've been posting about that in the last week as well. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about how he is and, and, and about the response you got from from fans and then just yeah i mean the the outpouring was amazing um uh, the uh what happened uh, earlier this year is if uh if your audience doesn't know my dad was diagnosed with uh lung cancer and um immediately uh he was uh uh prescribed uh something called immunotherapy it's uh the biomarkers that he had uh, made him a candidate for immunotherapy, and it's a pill. It's, it comes in a pill form. It's not like a chemo, um, and that tells the body how to uh, where specifically to fight the cancer cells, right. and um, and as opposed to chemo, where it wipes out everything. And um, and when this happened, I was on the road, and there was some cost. You know, just some startup costs. Uh, to uh, to kind of get everything moving right away, and everybody jumped on board, and uh, I, I was blown away, and so was my dad. My whole family, we were in tears of 
all the love and support that we got. And uh, that got him on the treatment right away. And uh, also the, the um, uh, some of the uh, the uh, the necessary uh, there was uh, without getting to, into too much detail, there was uh, some. I guess some tubes and, and uh, containers that were needed for draining and all that. So it, it all went to that. And uh, so, yeah, like I posted last week, everything was going great. And last week or uh, a couple weeks ago, I posted about my dad had gone back for another CT scan. The immunotherapy was working for the first three months and then uh, stopped working. So uh, one of the masses uh, kind of grew into towards the windpipe, and uh, he was coughing a bit. So they wanted to get in and do uh, radiation right away and some light chemo with the immunotherapy. So uh, he started. He actually started that today, and uh, his outlook is good. The doctor's outlook is real good. My uh, family, you know, we're all uh, positive, and. Uh, and it really does help, you know, like, I don't know if anybody in your audience or you know any uh, people in the hospital or, uh, you know, cancer patients, but even just the love and prayers that you see online um, really does lift his spirits. And that really does help when he goes in for treatment. So, uh, you know, thank you, everybody that uh, helped out or commented or, or sent prayers uh, it really did help. I'm sure everyone listening wishes him uh, all the best. Um, let's have Thank a song. Let, let's have a song, Stevie. What uh, what song can we play? Here's No Regrets from Warpaint, Buck Cherry. What you had in mind, darling 
Okay, welcome back to the program, and this is the Rugby League section, and it's the end of the program, and I don't know when this is going to be actually made, because my computer got very wet at Wigan, and no one may hear this for about a month. But anyway, our, our guest here in uh, in uh, Leeds is Keith Mason. Hey, Keith, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, mate. Yeah, so we're here talking about um, your book, Rugby Blood, which is a graphic novel, and there's a book signing here at uh, Philip Howard Books. Um, how does uh, a front rower come actor become um, someone who puts out a graphic novel what's the story <laughs> oh it's a long story but let's try to keep it short uh, you know obviously uh, back in 2013 uh, I played in a Challenge Cup final against uh, Wellington Wolves for Huddersfield and I got invited to a bar after uh, and that fateful night I met a guy called Mickey Rock uh, obviously he's a you know legendary actor back in the 80s uh, we became friends uh, and then eventually I did a movie with Mickey Mm. Uh, 2013 we did Skin Traffic I played Mickey's henchman uh, Mr Steiner uh, and I wasn't a guy just blinking I had, I had a few lines in there so <laughs> and he just gave me a vision you know for after rugby league and not a lot of rugby league players get the opportunity to be in a Hollywood movie and uh, you know have a speaking role and he just gave me a vision after rugby league uh, that why not give it a crack you know we're still in one piece and uh, along the way you know I've learned to write Screenwrite and uh, ultimately Rugby Book came from a, a screenplay mm. which I'd written. Uh, and the, the idea was to, to create a comic, uh, a graphic novel, including the best Super League players, relevant players, and NRL players, mm. uh, the likes of uh, Jack Whiting and Josh Adokar and Kellen Ponga. Mm. And all these guys are super excited about being in, in, in a graphic novel and a comic. Uh, and the actual character in the comic is, is actually based on my life. Mm. based on my childhood you know I had a pretty tough childhood a bit of colourful childhood uh, and I went through a lot of adversity a lot of struggles to become a, a Super League player NRL player mm. uh, and I think a lot of kids who read it could, could relate to it mm. uh, it's, you know it's about you know you can't be an hero without having uh, obstacles and, 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 and uh, you know to go through adversity and, and, and be able to rise rise above and, and I think David King the, the character in, in Rugby Blood is about a guy who, who never gives in and perseveres mm. and I think society needs to see that now mm. and uh, you know what better way than make a hero similar to one of the Marvel heroes a rugby league player mm -hmm. you know because my goal and my target uh, is to go worldwide with Rugby Blood which I have done the NRL have jumped on board now mm. uh, Brad Walters did a great, a great story on mm. uh, Rugby Blood uh, and I'm building up to the second comic which is Shot Clock which will be the double size of the first comic which is The Origins uh, which will include a world all-stars team which will have the likes of Tyson Frizzelvi to Radley Nathan Cleary uh, uh, Jermaine McGilvery, Daryl Clark 
all playing in a world all-stars team while David King is trying to save New York from getting blown up <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I mean like I said I've, I've, I've learned new stuff about myself you know I've, mm. I've uh, gone into that creative creative process of learning to write mm. having time on my hands and then uh, creating a a graphic novel which I think I probably caught a lot of people off guard mm. but I'm just showing people that you know I'm not just a, an athlete you know I've mm. got a I've got a brain and mm. uh, you know I'm looking at obviously the acting is is one thing that I really uh, love doing but uh, also you know releasing a comic and, and, and doing many other things as well so I remember reading at the time about you, you guys bunking off training to go and hang out with Mickey <laughs> Rourke was that uh, must have been a crazy time yeah, yeah that was fantastic I mean Mickey you know the night I met him uh, he just kind of took a liking to me and it's a shame his rugby league movie or his rugby movie never got made yeah that's it? right I think, yeah. I think listen I sat down mm. in Hollywood I, I was in uh, Sunset Marquee with Mickey mm. and we sat down with the, with the film producers of uh, Avatar Mm. and we're speaking about the Welshman mm. uh, the actual idea came from me mm. you know I was saying to Mickey let's do a film about a rugby league star mm. a rugby league player mm. let's do a drama about it and uh, Mickey says look I can't just I don't want to do something similar to sports in life you need to mm. do something very original mm. and then one day he gave me a call and, and said uh, do you know the guy called Gareth Thomas you know mm. the, the gay the guy who's come out and said he's gay Says yes, sure. He goes, I want to play him. I want to play his character. I thought, wow, this is a bit deep. But you know, uh, so I reached out to Gareth and I said, and I, and I rang him up and I said, Hi, Gareth, Keith Mason. I've played against you one or two times while you're at the Crusaders and uh, I'm friends with Mickey Rock, and he wants to do a film about you. He went, Get out of here! Can't bloody believe it! <laughs> <laughs> I can't bloody believe it, Keith. You're telling me lies. I was no, no, no. So we actually, we actually well went to the uh, last ever Jonathan Ross show. Yeah. Uh, there was David Beckham on the, uh, the BBC show. Yeah. Uh, Jackie Chan and I went as Mickey's as guest, and, and Gareth came along, and we had a good night together. And uh, I think the, the 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 stop on the the hold up on the film was that Mickey he was he wanted to play a 35 year old, mm. six foot three, mm. ripped to death rugby league player. Yeah, yeah. You know, Mickey's in his 60s, so yeah, and yeah. I think that's the reason why. He didn't get come off, yeah. but uh, like I just followed that on, and yeah. obviously did, did rugby blood. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been a lot of hard work, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot, of, a lot of belief, and and my vision came to light. You know, a lot of people have ideas mm. and never see see them ideas through. Mm. But uh, my my vision was to go to Super League to get Super League to, to endorse it, mm. which they did. Mm. You know, it's not. You know, sometimes I've got to pinch myself a little bit because, you know. I'm the first guy to do this, mm. but uh, you know to come back to rugby league and and, and to put to, to give back to rugby league. Cause rugby blood, rugby is in my blood, mm. and the reason they call it rugby blood because you know it's. I think a lot of rugby league players would would understand that. But the, the same the same breath, the actual title is catchy. Mm. You know. Okay, and um, then just before we go, um, can you explain the the idea that maybe some NRL players might actually voice over their own characters in the in an anime <laughs> version of the next book yeah so what, what I've explained to the to the players uh, Cleary and Frizzell uh, Victor Radley mm. uh, Josh Adokar Kaelin Ponga Gordon Tallis uh, Sean Canadal Andrew F- all these Fafita mm. all these guys you know I've, I have said to them that you know there's a possible Netflix series it could mm. be one or two years away mm. but uh, there's a possibility that you guys could be doing voiceover work mm-hmm. and then that means that's per- paid work you know mm-hmm. and, and, and not only that to get the Netflix series up and running, that means there'll be 122 countries watching mm. an anime series about a rugby league star featuring mm. real rugby league superstars, yeah, yeah. which is going to market the game unbelievably. 
mm. fantastic. Like it's never been marked before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the thing is, you can triple down. NRL are doing fantastic. Mm. You know, the Betfred Super League. Uh, the CEO's coming. He's trying to shake things up. You know, mm. Rob Elston, and I think that's what Rob Elston really liked the idea of of uh, rugby blood and, and marketing the games as, as not just superstars but comic book heroes mm-hmm. which is which is relevant now to, to the time so yeah Keith let's finish uh, the program with a rock song that says something to you a rock song you get to pick one what do you what do you want to hear oh a rock song wow oh, I really like the ACDC yeah the thunder Thunderstruck. It reminds me of my Melbourne Storm days. Yeah. Uh, but I was, you know, going to Melbourne was a was a fantastic and unbelievable. I'm, and I'm still in the uh, Melbourne All Boys uh, yeah. WhatsApp group with all them players. But I think off off my head right now, it probably would be ACDC.